morning, everyone. I would like to take this time to welcome you to the Village Church, where our pastor is Alex Shipman. Uh, we will have your announcements that will start this morning. Okay, so welcome to the Village Church, where our mission is to know Jesus, to enjoy Jesus, and to glorify Jesus. Our vision is broken people coming together to embrace and extend Jesus' love. Um, if you're a guest today, welcome. There are guest information cards located just outside the sanctuary door in the narthex. Please throw one out and drop it in the basket. We look forward to connecting with you. Um, this is a reminder, the nursery is open today. Um, so you can take your kids there if you want to. Um, so at the Village Church, we believe that giving the giving of tithes and offerings is an act of worship. So you may give to the vision and the mission of the Village Church by using a link on our webpage. Um, or you can send it to our mailing address. Um, so, or off after the service, dropping your offering off in the designated area in the back of the sanctuary. So we also have women's Bible study. So the third Tuesday of every month, meeting at the church house from 6 to 7 p.m. Um, and snacks and fellowship time from 7 to 7.30. Um, and the first meeting is March 15th. And on March 27th, we will have communion. Um, and also volunteers are needed for the spring term of the village kids. So anyone who is interested, please contact Mary Lynn Blanc um, at mary at enterthevillage.net. Oh, and you can also look in the back of the worship guide for the spring schedule for village kids and youth. We will also begin a new program for our nursery age village first steps that will follow the same meeting time after the worship service at the same schedule. So, thank you. Thank you. Now we have a song of meditation by Patience. Good morning. As we uh, as we sing this song this morning, let's just take a few moments to meditate on who God is and how uh, how lovely and how beautiful. He is the song is Jesus, 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 what a wonder you are. And I think about um, all the things that we say are awesome. <laughs> you know, oh, this is so awesome, this is so great. Um, but none of those things could ever compare to how awesome the Lord is and how awesome He's been in each and every one of our lives whether we feel that right now or not. The reality is that he has richly blessed us and continues to bless us um, because he loves us and we are um, treasured by him. And so let's just think about, uh, allow our minds to think, 
this song as a, a song of preparation.
call to worship. It's taken from the song, um, How Great Is Our God. Please join with me where it, re it notes congregation. How great is our God. Sing with me. How great is our God. And all will see how great, how great is our God. Name above all names. You are worthy of our praise. And my heart will sing, how great is our God. Let's do that part again. Name above all names. You are worthy of our praise. And my heart will sing, how great is our God. Amen.
confession of sin. This is a time where we reflect on on the things that we have not done and the things that we should have done. We also can reflect on reflect on things that how we can really challenge ourselves to serve our God and our master better. So I'm going to read the scripture. We come from Psalms 143 1, 1, 1 and 2. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my, my plea for mercy. In your faithfulness answer me. In your righteousness, enter not into judgment with your servant, for no one living is righteous before you. Like always, our master is gracious. He's full of mercy. He sees past our faults and he sees our needs. He always gives us a way of escape. Even this week, I've been challenged on my sin from a brother to just really review how I see something and see something clearly. And I had a brother to really admonish me and build me to see how God would want to be glorified and more so than I want to be glorified. So I'm thankful for how God can bring someone to speak to your heart, speak to your spirit, to make you a better Christian. So, like I said, he gives us a way of escape, but I will read to you the assurance of pardon from Psalms 144.2. The Lord is steadfast, love and my, in my fortress, my stronghold and my deliverer, my shield, and in he in whom I take refuge. Amen. Good morning. Hi, I'm Ian Teague, and I will be reading to you the uh, our scripture for today comes from Luke 19, 45 through 48. And he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold, saying to them, It is written, My house shall be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. And he was teaching daily in the temple. The chief priests and the scribes and the principal men of the people were seeking to destroy him, but they did not find anything they could do, for all the people were hanging on his words. Thank you. Come to worship the King, 
For His greatness compels us to pray. How can we help but sing when beholding His glorious ways? At His right hand are pleasures forevermore. Can the great I am stoop so low to call sinners his friends? At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Our treasure is Christ, our joy, our delight in Jesus alone. Our of priests call from darkness to light now to proclaim his excellencies for his beauty and sweet to our souls at his right hand are pleasures forevermore our treasure is Christ our joy our
morning, Saints. Hope that you all are doing well. <laughs> Try to get this mic. All right, there we go. I do have one more announcement to make. Uh, next Sunday after the service, uh, there will be a meeting with uh, the youth of the church and their parents and, and anyone who's interested in serving with the youth. We're going to have a meeting um, after the service uh, next Sunday to, to pray and to talk about uh, what of our dreams, what do we want to see happen with the youth ministry uh, within TBC. So if you're serving in a place that you feel like you're not gifted to serve, but you have a heart for the youth, then that means come to this meeting uh, this Sunday so that we can begin a discussion of what it looks like for us to come alongside of Lyle Lee to help serve our youth. And with that said, I'm a, our prayer supplication today is going to actually focus on the kids of the church. And so let's uh, go to the Lord now uh, in prayer. Father, I want to uh, pray for all the babies within uh, TVC. I pray for the ones that were just born. Destiny for baby Owen, you continue to strengthen him. I also pray for uh, baby Lee, who will be born in a few weeks. I do pray that you be with Dolores as she prepares to deliver um, her, her daughter. I pray that everything will go according to plan. And I pray for a uh, big brother, Shalom, uh, Shalom, that he will be ready to be a good big brother uh, to his little sister. And Lord, I pray for all the, the young kids in our First Step Nursery, that you will watch over them that you will use uh, Tiffany and all the nursery workers to, to pour into these little ones and to point them to Jesus. I pray that each of them one day will come to seven faith in Christ and that you will draw them, use their parents to draw them closer to you. I pray for our Village Kids Ministry. Thank you for Mary and her leadership and how she uh, is serving our kids each week after the service. Thank you for her leadership. I pray you continue to bless it. And I pray for these kids, for faith in them, that you will draw them closer, that you will um, draw them closer to your heart, and that they will know that they are loved by you. And there's nothing they have to do to earn it. I pray you give wisdom to us as adults in this church that we will uh, do our part to lead these little ones to Jesus, to point them closer to Christ. And I pray for our youth, Lord, for the teens in our church. As they navigate life as a teen, everything that the world is throwing at them, I pray that you will be able to break through the noise and all the voices that they are hearing from, that they will be able to recognize your voice. I pray that you give them wisdom as they navigate friendships, as they navigate conflict, as they navigate social media, as they navigate school, as they deal with parents. Give them wisdom. Give them humility. Help them to know that they are loved by you and that there's nothing they can do to earn that favor because Christ died for them. So Holy Spirit, minister to these teens, 
give us wisdom as a church that we can walk alongside of them. And I pray, Lord, now they may grow up and leave this church and they may talk bad about this church one day, but know what? They can't say the gospel was not preached to them. Might not have all the bells and whistles, but the gospel is preached to them each week. So watch over our kids, bless them, sustain them, give us wisdom to help disciple them. And Lord, I pray for all this in Christ's name. Well, if you have your Bible, please open it to Luke 19. We will be looking at verses um, 45 through 48. Luke 19, verses 45 through 48. And that's the same passage that EMT read. Thank you, Ian. Previously on This is Easter... Christ makes his triumphal entry into Jerusalem, riding on a young donkey. He enters the holy city as the Messiah King, a king who is humble, meek, peaceful, a king who fulfills Old Testament prophecies, a king who even turns our expectation of kingship upside down. Jesus enters Jerusalem as a king who carries our burdens of sin, shame, and guilt. Those are all amen statements. Because if he ain't carrying them, then you're trying to carry them yourself. And you can't take it. Jesus is a king who prophesies. He's a king who laments over our unbelief and suffering. Do you believe that? When you're suffering, Jesus laments for you in heaven. Do you believe that? Jesus, Emmanuel, still, he's a king who continues to make intercession for his beloved people. So episode one of This is Easter can be summarized this way. Jesus is a different kind of king. He's a different kind of king. And now this morning, we're going to see this king exercise his authority. So again, you need to sit up in your chair and block out all mental distractions and pay close attention because we're going to start episode two. And episode two is recorded right here in Luke 19, verses 45 through 48. In this episode, Jesus uses his authority to clean house. He uses his authority to clean house. Your house, my house, everybody's house. So please pray with and for me. Holy Spirit, as I pray each week and will continue to pray, you have to do your work. You have to do your part. Because if you are not moving in our hearts and our minds, then the word is just going to fall silent and dead. So we, we can't even apply the word to our hearts apart from you. It, man, we can't even understand it apart from you. So you are our counselor, Holy Spirit. You are the deposit that, that guarantees our inheritance. And so we need you. We need you. So Holy Spirit, will you have mercy on us? 
Will you uh, apply this word to the places of our life that needs it? Will you minister to our, our minds? Will you minister to our emotions? Will you minister to our bodies? You see. You live inside of every believer supernaturally. And you never stop. You're undefeated. You are still good. You are still working. So Holy Spirit, glorify Jesus during this message and also draw us closer to his heart. And it's in Christ's name that I pray. Amen. Episode one of This is Easter ends with Jesus sobbing in tears as he draws closer to Jerusalem. And the reason that he's in tears is because of the people's continued rejection of him. He's been with them for three years. And now as he begins his Passion Week, his time with them is ending. And his heart still breaks because the majority of them still rejects him. And he also is in tears because he knows what's going to happen to Jerusalem 40 years after his death in 70 A.D. That is going to be destroyed. So he laments before it happens. And he laments when it actually does happen, too. And so episode two um, picks up with Jesus' procession through the holy city. The young donkey he's riding is, is taking him to a particular place within Jerusalem. But where? You see, every type of procession, like this, you know, the St. Patrick's Day parade that, was, that happened yesterday, it, it just goes somewhere. It doesn't just march all through, the city, all through Huntsville. It begins and it ends somewhere. There's a final destination. And so where does Jesus' procession end? What is his final destination? The young donkey takes him to the Jewish temple. That's his destination. That's where it ends. And the Gospel of Luke doesn't record this detail, but the Gospel of Mark does. You see, Jesus rides into the temple, heads towards the uh, head towards the temple, and when he arrives, he gets off the donkey and he goes inside the temple courts. And once he's in the temple courts, Mark says, he looks around at everything. In the message Bible, it says, Jesus looks around, taking it all in. Taking in everything that is happening in the temple courts. But what's happening? What's going on in the temple courts? What does Jesus see? He sees things that doesn't please him. That's what he sees. He sees things that doesn't please him. See, each of us, young and old, we can relate to Jesus here. We've all seen things happen at sporting events, ceremonies, concerts, conferences, school, weddings, and parties that were not very pleasing to us. Now, have you seen things at events they didn't please you. Yes. You've seen people say and do things they shouldn't be doing. You, 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 you've been an eyewitness to public drama. And you stand there, sit there, taking it all in. Maybe even shaking your head in disbelief. Wondering why in the world I let myself get into this. Jesus is facing such a situation. He's witnessing a bunch of mess from his perspective. But here's the thing. He has the authority to deal with the mess. Because sometimes when we see mess, 
we really don't have the authority to do anything about it. But Jesus, when he sees me, he does. That's an amen statement. I'm not going to pull the sign out. Jesus has the authority to clean the house. He stands in the temple courts looking around. And, and he really and this is what he's saying to himself. He's like, I see y'all really haven't learned your lesson the first time. Because this is not the first time he's seen this mess in the temple. And now he's like, y'all going to make me party up like, like Dark Man X here. Y'all going to make me lose my mind. Y'all going to make me go all out. Y'all going to make me act the fool. Y'all going to make me lose my cool. That's what he's saying to himself. But he also knows it's late. I just got here. And so he also says, tomorrow, I got something for y'all. Tomorrow, y'all going to learn again. Just wait and see. According to Mark 11, Jesus walks out of the temple after looking around at everything. And then he then and then he leaves the temple with him, he and his 12 disciples. And they go back to Bethany for the night. I, get, I, I think they're going to Laris' Laris, crib to sleep until the next day. Because the next day is when he's going to exercise his authority. It's the next day. I know in Luke it goes right into the temple. But he didn't go into, he didn't do what he does in Luke 19 until the next day because it was late he just watched people set up shop and tomorrow is when he's going to speak truth into their life literature film and television use a technique known as a flashback when they want to show past events and a flashback scene takes a narrative back in time and one author says a one says a flashback is often used to recount events that happened before the story's primary sequence of events to fill in crucial backstories. There's a backstory to episode two of This is Easter. And it's going to fill in the gaps so that when y'all see what Jesus does the next day, you understand why he does it. The flashback actually takes us to the history of the Jewish temple. The flashback scene takes us all the way back to the life of King Solomon, who actually built the original Jewish temple in, in, in 975 BCE. And, it, and that temple became the center of worship and national identity for the ancient people of Israel. And it also represented the Lord God's presence among his people. In 1 King 8, the, the um, Elders of the Israelite elders placed the Ark of the Covenant. Now, if you're familiar with Old Testament history, the Ark of the Covenant is very important. It represented God's presence amongst his people. So these elders take the Ark of the Covenant and they place it in the inner sanctuary of the temple. That is the most holy place. No one is allowed in the most holy place for the high priest. That's once a year. First Kings 8, 11 says, the glory of the Lord Fills the temple when they brought the Ark of the Covenant into the temple. The first Jewish temple stood for almost four centuries until it was destroyed by the Babylonians during the exile. So the first temple was destroyed. But in 538 BCE, the Jewish people were allowed to return to Jerusalem from exile. And in 586 BCE, 
the reconstruction of the Jewish temple started. So a modest second temple was completed in 515 BCE under the leadership of Governor Zerubbabel. And once again, the Jewish temple became a center of worship and national identity for the people of Israel. And that second temple is where, where Jesus enters into in our story. And in 19 BCE, this temple is renovated under the, gov- under the um, renovated under King Herod the Great. And, this new, and these renovations took about 10 years to complete. And when they were completed, it was known as a temple complex. And, and the Jewish historian Josephus says, the greatest ever heard of. That's his description of the Jewish temple after the renovation. The greatest ever heard of. The newly renovated temple came with four separate courts, each designed for a different purpose. There was a court of the priests, the court of the Jewish men, the court for Jewish women, and then there was a court of Gentiles. The court of the Gentiles was the outer temple, outer court of the temple. It was the only court accessible to non-Jews, foreigners, and those who were ritually impure. The outer court became a melting pot of cultures, languages, and religious professions. It was a place of diversity, a space where everyone commits and mingle. But guess what wasn't taking place in the court of the Gentiles? Prayer and worship. Prayer and worship. The Gentiles' court turned into a marketplace a place to shop, a place to do business, a place to make money, you know, like Bridge Street and Mid-City and Huntsville, or the, free, or the flea market over here on Meridian Street. People would mull around. They would exchange money. They would even buy doves and, and oxen in the outer court. And Josephus reported that over 200,000 lambs were sacrificed during Passover, and they got those lambs in this court. Imagine that. Think about how many merchants you need to sell that many lambs. A lot of lambs. That's a lot of lambs. One commentator wrote, the court was filled with merchants who sold animals for worship to bring as sacrifices. And money changers exchanged Roman coins for, 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 for shackles so that no image of the emperor was on them. And they could use that money to pay the temple tax. See, that's the backstory, saints. Jesus walks into this temple after his triumphal entry. He walks into the court of the Gentiles, and he sees merchants setting up shop, getting ready for a good day to make money. And that gets under Jesus' skin. That's what frustrates him. That's what turns him into Dark Man X. The outer court isn't a place of prayer and worship. It's a place for materialism and commercialism. And Jesus isn't having it anymore. And so he uses his authority to clean the house. So the very next day, he and the disciples get up, maybe have a little bit to eat, and they leave for Bethany. And when he arrives, he, he re-enters the Gentiles' court. But this time, the entrance is different. He enters like the place is his house. He enters the court like Martin Lawrence from the show Martin. Y'all ain't got to go home, but you got to get up out of here. Gets to Stephanie. He kicks everybody out of the court. 
he cleans house. Look at verse 45. Jesus enters the court and begins to drive out those who sold. The Gospel of Mark says he enters the temple and begins to drive out those who sold and those who are buying in the temple. And he turns over the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling pigeons. And he wouldn't allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. What do y'all think about Jesus' behavior? Is this the Jesus you learned about in Sunday school? The Jesus who turns over tables? Do you know what he did the first time he cleansed the temple? He made a whip, and he started whipping people. Again, is that the Jesus that you learn about in Sunday school? Here's another question. Is he abusing his authority? Does his actions mean he doesn't support small business owners? That he doesn't want people to make a living, to pay their bills, to pay their rent, to pay their light bill. Is that, does, is that what this means? Does this scene in episode two of Easter destroy your Plato Jesus? The Jesus created in your image. Because we all got one. You see, Jesus enters the temple as a, Jesus enters Jerusalem as a humble, meek, lowly prince of peace. But don't let his humility deceive you into thinking he's a pushover. Don't let his meekness deceive you into believing he does not have a backbone. Don't let his lowliness deceive you into seeing him as a person that can be handled and controlled because he's not. Jesus is Lord and Savior, Redeemer and King, Alpha and Omega. It's both and. He can't be your Savior if he can't be your Lord. He can't be your Redeemer if he can't also be your King. Because the Lord and Savior Jesus, that's the one we really love. But the Redeemer, but the, uh, the Lord and King... That's the one we have a hard time with because the Lord, the King of Jesus says, everything you got is mine and I get to tell you how to use it. That's the one we have a hard time with. And the way we, and, 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 and this is how we get around it. Why are you preaching legalism, pastor? Why, why, why aren't you preaching grace? Listen. That's just your excuse to get around Christ's lordship. And you need to own that. Just as your excuse to get around him being your king. Because really, you just want to do whatever you want to do. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. He was born that way. Firstborn of all creation. For by Jesus all things were created. In heaven, on earth. Visible, invisible. For the thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities. All things were created through Jesus and what? For Jesus. In the Greek, it means for Jesus. Jesus is before all things, and in Jesus, all things hold together. He is the head of the body of the church. Jesus is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything, Jesus might be preeminent. For in Jesus, the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things, whether on heaven and on earth making peace by the blood of his cross. Again, is that the Jesus you learned about in Sunday school? 
what did Jesus tell his disciples in Matthew 28 after his resurrection? All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. When did he get that authority? Did he get it after the resurrection? He was born with it. He was born with it. He was born king. He was born Lord. He has all authority in heaven and on earth right now in episode two of This is Easter. At this moment, before the resurrection, before the cross, he rides into Jerusalem on a donkey with all that authority. He entered the Gentile court with all authority. He throws people out of the temple with all authority. He flips over tables with all authority. He kicks over seats with all authority. He refused to let people leave the temple with their own stuff with all authority. Think about that. He, he, it's their stuff. He said, you can't carry that to the temple. No. But it's my stuff, Jesus. I don't care. I don't care. I pay. Oh, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't care. Please understand, saying this Jerusalem is Jesus' city. The, the Jewish temple is Jesus' temple. The Gentile court is Jesus' court. It's Jesus' house. And he has all the authority to determine how people are to behave and function in his house. Think about it like this. Can, can people enter your place of residence and do whatever they want? Like, can I come into your house, go through your food pantry, go through your fridge, can I, can I be bread man for the sixth floor in your house? And if you know the show, Mark, you know who bread man for the sixth floor is. Can I come to your house and say, you know what? I'm going to start a small business out of your house. <laughs> can I do that? You're like, no, you can't do that. Then why do we think Jesus is going to let us do it in his house? If you won't do it in your house, then why do you expect Jesus to let you do it in his? He uses his authority to clean the temple because the temple is being misused. And let me be clear. The court of the Gentiles is being misused. He just speaks this truth to the people. Look at verse 45. He says to them, it is written, my house should be a house of prayer. But you have made it a den of robbers. Then a robbers. This rebuke is a combination of words from Jeremiah 7 and Isaiah 56. Listen to these words from Jeremiah 7, verses 8 through 11 for the Message Bible. It says, get smart. Your leaders are handing you a pack of lies, and you're swallowing them up. Use your head. Do you think you can rob and murder, have sex with your neighbor's wives, Tell lies nonstop, worship the local gods, and buy every novel religious commodity on the market, and then march into this temple, set apart for my worship, and say, we're safe. Thinking that the place itself gives you a license to do whatever you want to do. A cave full of criminals. Do you think you can turn this temple, set apart in my name, into something like that? Well, think again. I've got eyes in my head. I see what's going on, declares the Lord. Isaiah 56, 
verses 6 and 8 in the Message Bible says, And for the outsiders who now follow me, working for me, loving my name, wanting to be my servant, who keep Sabbath and don't defile it, holding fast to my covenant, I'll bring them to my holy mountain and give them joy, listen to this, joy in my house of prayer. Does that sound familiar? They'll be welcome to worship the same as the insiders, to bring burnt offerings and sacrifices to my altar. Oh, yes, my house of worship will be a house of prayer for all people. The decree of the master God himself who gathers in the exiles of Israel will gather also will, uh, will gather also others, gather them and with those already gathered. Saints, please realize the court of the Gentiles is an opportunity for non-Jews to come and follow the Lord God. It's an opportunity for the house of God to be known as a house of prayer for all people, just like Isaiah 56 says. Every court in this temple is supposed to be a place of worship and prayer. The court of the priests, the court of the Gentiles, Jewish men, the court for the Jewish women, and the court of the Gentiles. It's supposed to have the same purpose. but it's been turned into a den of robbers. Everything that Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 11 is happening in the Gentile court. It's a marketplace, a flea market. It's a place to get their business, a place to buy and sell, a place to sell and buy what the Jewish people need for worship, but it's not actually a place for worship. Mm -hmm. There's diversity in this place, but the people there do not honor God. Court of the Gentiles is just a place for materialism, commercialism, and consumerism. And not much has changed among God's people today. Each of us are guilty of misusing God's house, turning it into our version of a den of robbers. How has the village church become a den of robbers? How has other local churches in America become a den of robbers? How have whole denominations become a den of robbers? And how have you personally turned God's house of worship into a den of robbers? One way we can misuse God's house is by turning it into a den of conservative and progressive politics. Well, how do I know if I've uh, I've done that, Pastor? Well, one way you can know is that if you care more about what I stand uh, politically than what I stand biblically, then you turn this place into a den of politics. If you only go to a church because it leans right or left, then you probably have turned God's house into a house of politics. That's one way that you can know. A second way we can misuse God's house is by turning it into a den of consumerism. It's like you're going to church simply to to be served and never to serve. If you approach the church like it's an outlet mall, then you may have turned it into a den of consumerism. And a third way we misuse God's house is by turning it into a den to abuse authority. This looks like church leaders being toxic in their leadership. It looks like elders and deacons being spiritual bullies. It looks like the church covering up abusive, inappropriate behavior of pastors and leaders and even some members particularly those members who are big givers. And there are tons of stories about churches in America 
who have abused their authority and covered it up, leaving a trail of pain and hurt and injustice behind. I read a report this week from a a sister named Julie Royce about a woman who was publicly shamed by her pastor because she refused to take back her husband, a husband who was abusing her and the kids. The article is painful to read. I mean, you might not even be able to finish it. And what this church did to her is downright awful. And here's the point. No local church or Christian denomination is beyond turning God's house into a den of robbers. We all can fall into that trap. But when you think you're righteous and you have no blind spots, that's a trap of the enemy. Because you won't, have, you won't build an accountability because you don't think it will happen here. It won't happen in this place. None of us is beyond using God's house for selfish gain and greed. But eventually, Jesus is going to show up. He's going to clean house. He may flip over tables. He may throw people out. What can it look like for Jesus to show up and clean the village church? What, and what can it look like for Jesus to show up and to clean you personally? That's right. Do you know what 1 Corinthians 6, 19 says? Do you not know that your body is a temple with the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price to glorify God with your body. Again, what can it look like for Jesus to clean to clean house both corporately and individually? It looks like confession and grace and repentance and forgiveness and making changes in your life. Listen, saying self-awareness is beautiful, but it's even more beautiful when it leads to a deep conviction that leads you to repentance. Okay? Does your self-awareness lead you to repentance or does it lead you to just hide and dodge? I got to get out of here. I got to escape. Jesus showing up to clean your body, which is the temple of the Holy Spirit, might mean he's going to turn over your dining room table and he may throw items out of your food pantry because you eat too much and you eat unhealthy. It might mean receiving some bad news from a doctor that requires you to make a lifestyle change. It might mean you need to stop watching that tablet late at night so you can get get a good night's rest. That way you won't be tired and draggy the next day. It might mean that. It might also mean you need to cut back on the coffee, the soda, and the sugar. It might mean maybe you need to start working out some days a week. It might mean you need to detox your body because you've been abusing it with drugs and alcohol. It might mean checking yourself into rehab or joining the AA group. It might mean finally coming clean about your sexual addiction. It might mean you might need to go see a counselor to deal with your mental health. And you may need to get on medication. And there's no shame in that. I'm on medication for my mental health, for my blood pressure and cholesterol. I don't like it. That's what I'm living with right now. Now, we know the Passion Week of Christ ends with him dying on the cross for all of our sins. That's how it ends. And that's the power of the cross. And that's good news. But, beloved saints, 
the power of the cross doesn't mean Jesus only cares about your soul. He cares about your body too and how you take care of it. He cares about you holistically. And so he's going to show up in your life to help you clean your body. And I say, let him. Let him. When a brother or sister come to you and say, well, that might be unhealthy, receive it. Now, they got to come to you with humility and grace. They ain't got to come at you with judgment. But let him help you clean your body from the inside out. And that's part of the gospel. It ain't just him dying so you can get salvation. If you think Jesus, Jesus, Jesus is working you in at salvation, then you, there's a whole bunch of Christianity you don't know. Salvation is just the beginning of his work. In you. It continues throughout your lifetime. So please know, if you don't take anything else from the sermon, please know Jesus cares about your body as well as your soul. Both of them. Now, what can it look like for Jesus to walk inside the village church in order to clean house? It can look like members leaving because of how the leadership failed to address issues of race and justice. It can look like elders receiving emails about how our communication with the congregation still sucks. It can look like that so that we can get better. It looks like the spirit convicting us from being too inwardly focused and not getting outside the walls of the church more. It can look like me being on the Zoom call with some dear sisters and, and one of them saying to me, it seems that elders expect so little from my ministry that we don't even need training for it. And that, that hurt and convicted me. And that's why we've made changes to make sure we do what we can to train not just the brothers in our church, but also the sisters in our church who are in leadership. I believe Jesus has been conducting a five-year deep clean inside the village church. And man, it has not been easy. It's been painful. And I think joyful at the same time. He's been cleaning and renovating us, overturning furniture, rearranging furniture, I think even bringing in new furniture. And I believe the church leadership is learning and improving in the ways that we can lead and guide our congregation. And Jesus is making TVC into a, a beautiful, diverse community. And here's the thing, that process is not easy and will not be easy. It will be hard. It will be frustrating. And if you, have not, if you have never thought about leaving this church, then you really ain't trying to do life here. Because I'm telling you, if you're trying to do life here, it's going to cross your mind. Man, it, I, it should be much easier if I was somewhere else. Because I'm telling you, if you're really going to do life here, at some point you're going to think about leaving. And that's just being honest. But I'll say, stay. We are a community of broken people coming together to embrace and extend Jesus' love. Jesus is using his authority to clean us for his glory and our good because this is his local church. This is his local body, and this is his house. And he's doing a good work in it. In his book, Symphony of Salvation, Eugene Peterson writes, he's one of my favorite authors, he says, when believers gather in churches, 
Everything that can go wrong sooner or later does. He's right. Outsiders on observing this conclude that there is nothing to the religious business itself, perhaps business and dishonest business at that. Insiders see it differently. Just as a hospital could let sick people under one roof and label them as such, the church collects sinners. And many of the people outside the hospital are very sick as the others inside, but their illnesses are either undiagnosed or disguised. It's similar with sinners outside the church. So Christian churches are not, as a rule, model communities of good behavior. They are where the places where human behavior is brought out in the open, faced, and dealt with. That's what we've been dealing with here at the Village Church. We're, not, we're never going to be a model of good behavior, but we're going to be a place where Jesus brings out into the open the things that, that's happening here so that we can deal with it. And he has all the authority to bring it out into the open and deal with it in a way that can build us up and not destroy us. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, thank you that the way you use all your authority is never abusive. That it's right and it's good. Sometimes it may be it may hurt, but it's still good. I thank you that when I think about this church and the things that we've gone through throughout the years and the fact that we're still standing, even though we've lost people for various reasons, you still have us here, pressing forward, moving forward. And I believe it's not a testimony of our goodness and our greatness, but it's a testimony of your goodness and greatness. That you are not done with this particular body yet. We might not be where we want to be as a church. I don't think we're where we used to be either. There are great and wonderful things happening here. You are bringing in new furniture. You have rearranged. You have renovated. And I pray that you would give us eyes to see the wonderful things that you are doing here. It's easy to see the negative. It's easy to see what we don't have. It's easy to see what's not going on. Help us to see what is happening, the ways that people are serving. And some people are serving in multiple ways, Lord. Thank you for that. So, Lord, as we go out this week, and I think for a lot of us, we're on spring break. Help us to remember your faithfulness to this particular branch of your body here at TBC and that you are doing a good work here and you are making us and growing us into a beloved, beautiful community for your good, for your glory, and for our good. It's in your name that I pray. Amen. Will you please stand, saints, as we close? our service.
so much for uh, joining our family today uh, for worship. I hope it's been a wonderful experience for you. And uh, Lord willing, hopefully we'll see you again. Uh, Here's God's benediction to his beloved sons and daughters. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God our Savior Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forevermore. And all God's people said, amen. Please greet one another, saints.